The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. It is week two on the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I want to thank you so much for listening last week and this and welcome you inside the second week. My name is Eric Little. We've got all kinds of things to talk about. Some news and notes. We'll look at this week's poll, set you up for next week's poll. And the main discussion we're going to talk about today is schedules. Schedules always seem to be at the top of people's minds. There's a lot of teams in the area when looking at it this year that have vastly different schedules compared to what they had in years past. And in some cases, schedules that reflect a big, big change. We'll talk much more about the schedule later on in the program. Some news and notes for you, and a bit of a follow-up from last week. We were talking about the commitment of Amir Richardson of University High School to West Virginia University, and I had mentioned about how Brenton Strange out of Parkersburg was going to be one of the next big players to commit one way or the other. We taped the show last week on a Monday, and part of why I had this podcast was as something that could go along with Countdown to Kickoff that airs on Fridays. So I wanted a place to talk about news and notes that were a little bit more current and, and maybe more relevant than Friday so that by the time the show rolled around Friday, it wouldn't be stale bread. And then we talk about Brenton Strange in a show that taped Monday and uploaded to make sure I could get it through iTunes and everything like that for a Wednesday drop date. And then Tuesday, Brenton Strange goes and releases his top seven. So I want to go ahead and talk about this quickly before we get too much farther. There were 17 schools in all that offered a scholarship to Brenton Strange. West Virginia University, not one of them. We'll tell you a little bit more on that here in just a moment. These are, excuse me, it's the top eight this is the top eight schools for Brendan Strange. So we cut the list in half. They went from 17 to 8. Purdue University. Penn State University. Come to Penn State! The Ohio State University. Wake Forest University. University of North Carolina. Rutgers University. University of Notre Dame. And the University of Louisville. Again, that's Purdue, Penn State, Ohio State, Wake Forest, North Carolina, Rutgers, Notre Dame, and University of Louisville. That is the top eight of Parkersburg High School senior Brenton Strange, again offered to 17 different schools. And the thing that I notice is that there's a pretty heavy Big Ten slant to that. A lot of schools in the Big Ten looking for Strange's services. I think Ohio State might be the one that jumps out of the list because it's really the only local one on here. Marshall offered him, West Virginia did not. No offer from Ohio University if you're looking at the local schools. And I think Ohio State, from what I had seen retweeted on my timeline from Brenton Strange, actually kind of made an impression on Brenton. That's the one where he got to take pictures with Urban Meyer. He got to meet Coach Meyer. Uh, it's not a certainty that at these other eight schools or any other school that Brenton got to meet the head coach. That's not the way that happened at Ohio State. He got to meet Coach Meyer. However, as you know, Coach Meyer is in a bit of a controversy this week. He's embroiled in some issues of his own at Ohio State. And to be quite honest, as we tape this on Monday, it's not a certainty that Meyer survives until this drops on Wednesday. So that could very heavily affect which way he goes. And I think if Brenton is smart, unless Ohio State is just there for show, then he probably will not make a pick until the Urban Meyer thing dies down. I kind of am intrigued by Notre Dame on this list. I think there's still an aura and a mystique with Notre Dame, even though they really haven't competed at the national level the way a school like Alabama or even Ohio State has in the last decade, decade and a half. The one that really jumps out and I think should be the dark horse in this is University of North Carolina. Don't overlook that. It's in a nice area. Uh, UNC is in that triad area where you got UNC, NC State, 
and Duke, all in the Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill area. It's all very close. Good area to go to school. Good area to live, by the way. You know, Wake Forest is not too far from that either. You know, schools in the ACC in that region are no closer than schools in the Little Kanawha Conference. It's, it's that close. But what makes me wonder about that, what makes me think that might be a dark horse pick is that because it did produce Ryan Switzer. Ryan Switzer from GW went to UNC and then went on to the NFL. And I think that's the kind of thing that impresses a young man and impresses young people. Uh, They like to walk in the path of those who've been there. So I wouldn't discount UNC from that list. Uh, the one that really sticks out to me is, you know, doesn't fit in. And I didn't mention this with the other Big Ten schools because they don't seem like a Big Ten school to me, and that's Rutgers. I feel like Rutgers is on this list kind of like that third door on Let's Make a Deal with the prize that is not nice. And it, it, they call it the Zonk Prize, if you would, like a box of socks or a mailbox filled with turds or something like that. That's Rutgers. Name me the head coach at Rutgers University right now. As honest to goodness, as I'm as I'm recording this, I could not name you the coach of Rutgers University. I'm going to look this up right now. You hear me clacking along. Rutgers football. Who's their coach? Chris Ash is the guy's name. Greg Shiano, by the way, was the last Rutgers coach I could have named, and then that went away fast, and then they went to the Big Ten, and Rutgers was one of those schools I, I only ever saw on the bottom line of the out-of-town scores. But Chris Ash, the head coach at Rutgers, I don't know why you'd want to go to New Jersey to play college football. You're not really close to anything, but you're not particularly close to New York. You're not, you're not New York City. You're not particularly close to anything else. You're just up there in New Jersey. I, I don't get the appeal to that. But again, of the top eight, four, Purdue, Penn State, Ohio State, and Rutgers in the Big Ten. And for that matter, three others are ACC schools, Wake Forest, UNC, University of Louisville, and for all intents and purposes, Notre Dame's an ACC school. They are in every other sport. They play a lot of ACC schools in football. But, but yeah, so Brent, Brenton looking in that direction, looking Midwest, looking ACC. One thing that was interesting about Strange's recruitment is that he did not get an offer from WVU. I had somebody message me last week citing some inside knowledge that he had, somebody who was a little closer to the situation. He said that WVU wanted Strange to play defense, and Strange had no interest in that. I almost speculated it was one of those kind of situations on last week's show. Almost said it might be a case like what Joe Paterno used to do at Penn State. Come to Penn State! Where he would take a lot of talented athletes and try to turn them into linebackers and just churn out linebackers. And a lot of guys famously said no to that. Look at a guy like Jeff Hostetler who bucked that trend. Uh, Paterno wanted him to be a linebacker. He didn't want to. Went to a WVU where he could be a quarterback and was a successful quarterback at WVU and a Super Bowl champion at the position as well. So for those of you that might be poo-pooing why WVU didn't offer Brenton Strange, sometimes good players just aren't a mix for the program uh, that's under their nose or vice versa. That's not a knock on Strange's athletic ability. That's not a knock on WVU's recruiting ability. It just wasn't a fit. And both parties decided to go their separate ways. And I'm sure nobody in Morgantown wishes Strange too much ill will. And I'm sure he probably understands exactly why he didn't get a scholarship offer from WVU. They had their expectations, and he was not interested in meeting them, and that was that. So um, sometimes it's just no harm, no foul. You, know, you wish somebody well, you tip your cap, and you move on. So tie up that loose end. That is why Strange not getting a scholarship offer from WVU. Time to take a look at this week's poll. Of course, this week's poll question on our Facebook page. If you haven't liked our Facebook page, why haven't you? It's the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I appreciate all of you that answer the poll. As I read it today, 12 people have answered the poll. Uh, the question was, when is the best time for a team to have a bye week? Or when is the best time for a team to have a bye week? 67% said late in the season. 
33% said early in the season. Late in the season, 67%. Early in the season, 33%. That poll will run through Wednesday, and you can check the final results there. This is the part where I'm kind of hamstrung by Facebook's polls. On Twitter polls, you've got four questions. You've got four options. And I would like to have had an option for dead in the middle of the season because there are a few teams, and we're going to talk about schedules in a minute, there are a few teams that have that bye week dead red right in the middle of the season. That's what I would pick. If you can get that bye week somewhere in week five, six, or seven, maybe even as early as four, but you know earlier than four, no later than seven, I think you're in pretty good shape. Because that way you'll have played at least three or four and hopefully no more than five or six games without hitting that bye week. You have two chunks of your season that way. You've got a nice breather in the middle of it and a chance to heal up and make that run for the second half. Some teams seem to come out of that first half of the season gasping for air, but if the bye week falls in week two or week three and your injuries happen in week four, then you've got the rest of the season to play and try to figure it out, and that's tough for teams. You know, not that you're going to get bodies that magically appear, but you know, sometimes to have that extra week off is enough time to heal up some of those lingering injuries and those nagging injuries. There have been a lot of teams that have been strengthened by that. Late in the season, I think, would be my second pick, especially if you're a team that has some aspirations or some expectations of going to the playoffs. So if you're going to go make a deep run, if you think you're going to make a deep run, and you pick that by week eight or nine, okay, then you have that time to heal up in a couple weeks to get set for the playoffs. Essentially, your playoffs start early. You can set that mindset in practice. So I kind of like that thought to it as well. Early in the season, to me, only works in about one scenario, and that's if you're a very young team that needs the extra practice time and will need some extra time. And there's a team that we're going to talk about here in a minute that's in that boat right now. But if your bye week is week one and you need that extra time, then certainly take it by all means. That seems to be a good fit, and that seems to be the best way to take it if you're in that boat. If you're a veteran team, no, I don't see where a bye week in week one or week two would help you much at all because... You just want to get out there and play, and frankly, that bye week would be a nuisance. There's some people who want the bye week eliminated and all. I know Ohio doesn't do one. Ohio, you play 10 weeks straight, and then you go straight to the playoffs. At least it takes some of the mystery out, but I would imagine that makes scheduling harder. I don't know. I'm not a football coach. I've never tried to put a schedule together. I think the bye week kind of makes things a little easier because you have some wiggle room. You'd like to get that bye week in the middle of the year, but you're willing to give it up if something juicier and something better comes along. So, again, 67% of you said late in the season. 33% of you said early in the season. Looking at some of our opinions here, Tara Malone, a fine student journalist at Magnolia High School, says, I'd have to say midway into the season because it gives your team more time to get focused on what games they need to prepare for and also gives coaches many opportunities to switch up their playbooks if necessary. Tara, and that's a valid point. I agree with you on midway into the season for the reasons I stated and, of course, for what you said as well. Because if you need to change some strategy, maybe something's not working and you got to go back to the drawing board. Nice to have that two-week buffer in the middle of the season. Ron McCurry agrees. He says, I think midseason will be better. How about everyone have a bye week after game five? That way is equal. Everyone off the same week. Well, there'll be a lot of bored people after five weeks. If there was one massive off week in week six, we just didn't do anything, had no games. That would be interesting. You know, we would all have the same bye week, but we'd all be twiddling our thumbs at the same time. I want that to be the best weather week of the year. That's always how that works out. So, Taryn and Ron, thank you so much for your feedback today and of course you know answer our poll question we'll tell you later in the show what next week's poll question is but like i said in the premiere episode this is your show this is a chance for you to get your opinion out there and to be heard we certainly want you to do that here on the eric little high school football podcast 
stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's talk schedules, as promised this week. Of course, schedules have been out for a long time. There are some people who just wait and wait and wait. and Their whole spring, it seems like, February and March, they're just eager to get that schedule. Honestly, you know, I, I've moved on to basketball and I got a baseball schedule. I'm someone who's very much a one-thing-at-a-time kind of guy. I'll look at the schedule and then I kind of put it out of my mind until I get to the next project. But I know there's a lot of you out there that have had these schedules and had these dates marked down on your calendars for months now. Very important, in my opinion, to play games against local teams, and here's why. I'm going to point out a few instances today where teams have picked up local teams on the schedule that, to my knowledge, they were not playing. If you've been to a game recently, you know that it's harder and harder to get people to come out to see high school football. If the weather is anything other than perfect, people use that as an excuse to not come. If it's not homecoming, people will seem to not come to these games. Uh, College football games on Friday nights are growing, and they're not going away. Those are here to stay. Uh, People can watch football at home on their couch in the comfort of their own living room with whatever foods in their pantry and in their fridge and not have to shell out you know, a few dollars a ticket, a few dollars to the concession stand. I think high school football is an affordable form of entertainment compared to a lot of other things you could be doing with your time or money, whether going to the movies or, or doing whatever. But in essence, if you want football and you don't care how you get it, and you don't want to leave your couch, you know, that's obviously a cheaper one in a lot of opinions. So you have to do more as a high school program these days to get people to get off the couch and come out and see your program play. Of course, weather is going to be the ultimate factor. If it's raining, if it's cold, and the game isn't a big game, people aren't going to come. But there are some things, you know, you can do by playing local teams. You generate better attendance. It's a better gate for yourself and a better gate for your opponent when that reciprocates. Because people are going to attend, I think they like to see that that opponent is somebody that they can have some familiarity with, that they've seen before and that they recognize. It's more relevant if you play games against local teams because I know we're in an era where these players now know people from all over the place, but they still might actually hang out or they might have had an activity with or played against some of these student-athletes in nearby schools. And you're going to get better media coverage, honestly, if it's two nearby teams, border counties. You see that a lot. There, That's an intriguing storyline in and of itself. Neighboring towns, teams from the same town playing one another, teams from across the river playing one another. You're going to get more coverage because it's a more juicy story, but you're also probably closer to where these folks can cover it. The News and Sentinel, for instance, isn't going to send someone two hours to cover a game. They're going to cover the games that are within 30 minutes of their newsroom. Same thing for TAP. All right? That's just how that works. You know, radio has the ability to go to these games and cover these games because they're live. But television and newspapers, uh uh-uh. People wonder why Game X or Game Y or Game Z didn't get in the newspaper, wasn't on TV. That's because it was tough for the media to get there and cover it. You know, they only have limited resources because you're not buying newspapers nowadays, so you're not supporting what they do. You're seeing those jobs cut, and TV is asked to do more with less constantly. If your game isn't to where they can cover it, and and that shouldn't be the primary scheduling factor, but if your game isn't to where they can cover it easily, don't expect to cover it. So you get better coverage if your game is against a local team. So we're going to look at some of these area schedule changes. First, and this is a big one, this might be the biggest one of the year so far, let's look at St. Mary's, because for the first time since I can remember, St. Mary's is not playing Ritchie County or a Ritchie County-based team in Week 1. The Ritchie County game has moved to the week of the Pleasance County Agricultural Youth Fair because they've always had that game on Thursday. 
and St. Mary's will host the Rebels on a new date this year, Thursday, September the 13th. With that game coming off the opening week, and with Parkersburg Catholic leaving St. Mary's schedule, because when Parkersburg Catholic wasn't able to play all 10 of the games, one of those was against St. Mary's. St. Mary's dumped Parkersburg Catholic from the schedule, so they needed somebody new to pick up there. Doddridge County also not on the St. Mary's schedule this year. St. Mary's has a, a big chance early to get some bonus points in this schedule, because the Blue Devils will welcome Scott in the opener, and that's not maybe the opener that St. Mary's fans are familiar with, but that's the opener they're going to get. Scott's a double-A team, and say they win zero games, or a couple games, uh, you might get those wins, but you're also going to get the double-A bonus points. And the same thing holds true with St. Mary's second opponent, and that's Roan County. They go to Spencer, which is not a long trip, and for a lot of longtime Blue Devil fans, they'll remember matchups at Spencer, because that was a fixture on the St. Mary's schedule for a long time before the consolidation with Walton. So I think that's a cool one to get back on St. Mary's schedule. Roan struggled last year, so you could be potentially getting two struggling AA programs, although Scott's on a little bit better footing than Roan. Say you pick off one of them, there's some bonus points there. If you get both of them, then there's some more bonus points and some momentum as you head into that matchup with Ritchie County on the short week. And then it's Calhoun, Williamstown, Ward County, Magnolia, South Harrison, Ravens, and Tyler Consolidated. So not exactly the easiest Class A slate after that. For St. Mary's, there's some opportunity early in that schedule. But the big change for St. Mary's is that in week one, St. Mary's is going to have the bye. They're not playing anybody, so they don't open until August 31st. That Scott game is their first game of the year. It's at home, but it is in week two. Blitable fans are going to have to hit the road if they want to see some football in week one this year. But as I said earlier, that's going to bode well for a St. Mary's team that doesn't return many starters on either side of the ball. They're very young, a lot of new talent at skill positions. So to give them an extra week to learn the playbook and to give them an extra week to heal up and be ready to go, not the worst thing if you're going to do it this year and in other years where you think you might need that extra time. So I think that might go well for St. Mary's. Going to be weird, though, for St. Mary's to play 10 games in a row, uh, though they will have another Friday off when they host Ritchie County because, again, that's a Thursday night game. So uh, we'll see how that goes for the Blue Devils, the decision to do that bye week in week one or the bye week falling in week one. Scott and Roan County back-to-back for St. Mary's. Unconventional, but some chances for double-A bonus points there. I kind of like how that lays out for the Blue Devils. Marietta made a change that I really love this year. Marietta is going to go to Ripley this year. And for these two football programs, that is a great test. That's a fairly evenly matched program. Ripley lost a lot of skill players, so they're going to be rebuilding. Uh, Marietta's coming off three straight five in five years. I believe they lost a lot of their skill players as well. But these are two schools that have been struggling for years to make that step back to winning and make that step back into prominence and being in the playoffs every year. So to play each other is a pretty good matchup for one, but also this is just a straight shot down I-77 from Marietta to Ripley. You're looking at less than an hour. It's not a long trip from Marietta to Ripley. So uh, your fans are going to be able to get to that one very easily. Uh, Marietta's fans heading to Ripley. So again, these are two schools in the same region that just really haven't played a whole lot. I can't recall Marietta and Ripley ever getting together in the football field. So I like that matchup a lot for a lot of reasons. Travel, they're both on similarly equal footing. I think that's going to be a really neat matchup this year. 
A lot of teams like Peyton City, Parkersburg Catholic, Ritchie, keeping it local and keeping it manageable. I love this opener that Peyton City and Parkersburg Catholic are playing. Peyton City will host Catholic Friday, August 24th. That's going to be a fun little game because those teams are roughly the equivalent skill level. Lance Benninger in his second year at Parkersburg Catholic. Brent Crossman has been at Peyton City for a very long time. I'm interested to see how that shakes out because for Parkersburg Catholic, 0-8 last year, the IEI fire wiped out one of their games. They lost another game because they didn't have enough bodies to play St. Mary's. I definitely would like to see them bounce back and definitely would like to see Parkersburg Catholic get back to where they can win a few games. We're not looking at a Catholic program that right now is going to be the Danny Tennant perennial playoff team, and there's a lot of reasons for that. We won't go into them here. But with the schedule, it's possible that this team could win a couple of games. you got Payton City in Week 1. They're playing Ritchie County, not for the first time either, in their second game. They're at Wirt County, a team that's been down in the past, uh, uh, not what they were when Jason Hickman was coaching them a few years ago when they went to the playoffs. Uh, they host Valley Wetzel this year. That's a, a program that is on the rise in Class A, but could compete with Parkersburg Catholic as far as skill athletes go. They'll host Calhoun County on October 6th, and if I'm not mistaken, I think they're going to host that behind their school over on Fairview Avenue. I know there's at least one game this year. They're going to do that on their campus. They're building it. It's their first ever, their first true home game. We'll see how it goes. I think that's a really cool thing. And if I'm not mistaken, Calhoun's the opponent. Uh, maybe it's even the next one against Notre Dame the following week. But that's just such a cool idea that they're doing. And I, and I love, love, love that they're doing that. And plus, they go on the road to Hannon at the end of the year. That's Parkersburg Catholic schedule. Hannon's a program they need to be playing. They're roughly equal footing as far as skill level and as far as numbers. So that is a good one for Parkersburg Catholic. And again, Payton City is going to Wirt County. Those are two teams. I don't recall playing anytime recently. But Peyton City does a good job to build their schedule with a mix of teams that they need to be playing, like Van, for instance. They host Van. That's uh, a long way to go, Peyton City to Van and back, but equivalent skill level, equivalent size as far as how many players are on your football team. Payton City hosts 100. They host Cameron. They're at Clay Battelle. They're at Valley. They're home against Bellsville. These are all schools within an hour of Payton City that uh, are nice to see them playing. Their fans can get there easily. Mom and Dad can get off work and get to the game probably before kickoff and get the kids there and, and maybe feed them something. And especially with these 7 o'clock kickoffs that a lot of schools are going to, you have to think that that's a factor. How quickly and easily can your fans get to your home games. Those are two schools that are keeping it local. My favorite stat about Ritchie County's schedule, seven of their ten games this year are against schools uh, that come from counties that touch Ritchie County. Of course, there are seven counties that touch Ritchie County, but the only games that they play that are against a county that does not touch Ritchie County, it gets a school that is from a county that does not touch Ritchie County, they're home against Frontier, and again, that's just across the river from St. Mary's. They're home against Ravenswood, and that's been a pretty good matchup for them in years past, and then they go to Webster County. There's some familiarity there with past sectional regional matchups too. So Ritchie County, good schedule this year. They've got Gilmer County on it, and I don't remember Gilmer County being on any time in the last couple years. And with St. Mary's out of that week one slot, they'll move Tyler Consolidated into week one. So still a rivalry in week one for Ritchie County. They go on the road back-to-back weeks, and they're home against Frontier. And then they're relatively home for a lot of the rest of of Rick Hot's first season as head coach of the Ritchie County Rebels. Love what they're doing with their schedule. Big opener for Parkersburg High School this year. They're going to go to Morgantown on Thursday, August 23rd, and games can be picked up by Metro News and AT&T Sportsnet. Mike Bias in his second year. Uh, a loss in the playoffs last year at home in an 8-9 game that I didn't really see coming, but 
They had a good year in the first year. Bias is looking to build off that, and they have a spotlight game in Week 1. They better be ready for that. That's a tough schedule, as it has been. they got Woodrow Wilson. they got Capital on it, like always. George Washington, Huntington. Of course, the big one south at the end of the year. I really like how they had Wheeling Park on the schedule last year, uh, and they got them back this year. They're at home against Wheeling Park this year, but Morgantown and Wheeling Park, a couple OVAC schools on that schedule. PHS is going to have a nice, tough schedule. It starts out with Morgantown. Speaking of a team with a big opener, in Wood County, no less. Williamstown has Wheeling Central at home, also on Thursday, August 23rd. The Yellow Jackets go on the road for four weeks, although one of those is to Marietta right across the river. Uh, But they go on the road for four weeks, not a home again until St. Mary's, uh, September 28th. If Williamstown can run through that gauntlet of going to Magnolia, Marietta, Ravenswood, Buffalo, uh, they're home for four in a row after that, four of the last five at home, and they get the bye week in week 11 to get ready for the playoffs. Williamstown is a good, tough opener. I talked to Terry Smith about the Yellow Jackets. Uh, they got a returning quarterback. They got five starters on both sides of the ball coming back. The full interview is on our Facebook page, Light Rock 93R. Parkersburg South has what I would consider the dream schedule. They're home for six games this year. Six because they're home for University and Morgantown. This is the year they should be going to Morgantown. They're not doing that. They're home against Morgantown. And of their four road games... One of them is at Athens. That's a new opponent replacing Point Pleasant. Get to that in a minute. And the other is at PHS. They're just across town. So the only two really big trips are John Marshall, which is only an hour and a half up the road, and Greenbrier East, which is a long trip. I love how South schedule stacks out right now. Their bye week is dead red in the middle of the year. They play five, then the bye week, then the last five. They've set it up to where the teams that they play that are the farthest distance, Princeton and Greenbrier East, are on alternating years. So they don't have the two trips of that length in the same year. One year they're going to go to Greenbrier East, which is this year. The other year they will be set to go to Princeton. And then Athens, a nearby opponent, a big school, that's going to be a very, very, very tough game. Don't get me wrong about that. Athens has been good for a while, but that's an opponent that you don't see come across the river very often. You don't see Athens come and play PHS. You don't see Athens come and play South. You don't see Athens come and play any of the Charleston area schools or Ripley or anything like that. So that'll be interesting to me to see how uh, Athens and Parkersburg South, uh, how that matchup goes. Not a long trip for South fans. You just a straight shot on 50 pretty much. And I think that'll be uh, an interesting game. It's going to get a nice crowd. So for Mike Eddy's squad, again, they're a team that lost a lot of the skill positions, but they're optimistic about what they do have back. South this year, uh, a great schedule. Six home games. That's going to be fantastic for the Patriots. Frontier crosses the river four times this year. The Cougars play Ritchie County, Cameron, Magnolia, and Valley Wetzel. Okay, they play teams from across the river four times. They cross the river twice as they're on the road at Ritchie and Magnolia. They host Cameron and Valley, but still, uh, they're playing more West Virginia games than they have in a while, notably absent St. Mary's. They haven't played the Blue Devils in some time. That used to be a big, big rivalry. It used to be week two every year. St. Mary's schedule used to be Ritchie, then Frontier, then Whatever else, not anymore. Hasn't happened in a while. We'll see if it comes back at one point. Of course, Town of Consolidated uh, hosts Ritchie County uh, as their opener now, and then they end with St. Mary's. Uh, good bookends for Rich- for Town of Consolidated. Their schedule used to be so murderous in the first few weeks. They'd start with Williamstown every year. That's now in the middle of the season. They go to Magnolia or, or host Magnolia after that. When that team was struggling and, and trying to build up a program, they'd often be 0-2 and you know, behind the eight ball before things even started. Ryan Walton's club, they've done a great job to get the schedule a little bit more organized. The bye week's still pretty early. It's in week three. Uh, but you got Richie and Doddridge County. So for Tyler Consolidated, maybe a chance to go 2-0, and although that Doddridge team is supposed to be really good this year. If they do win both of those games, you're 2-0 and going into mid-September, and you got to feel pretty good about some of the rest of those matchups on there, uh, especially with um, four home games still to play. 
Magnolia is going to open their season at home against Sherman. Always a tough schedule for the Yellow Jackets. They host Williamstown. They go to Shadyside and River. Other teams that are of note, they'll go to Monroe Central. Under a new head coach this year, Jay Sarcosta stepped down after, I believe, 39 years there. So there's a regime change at Monroe Central. And for Magnolia, you got to like this. Six home games and the last three uh, in New Martinsville. St. Mary's, Tyler Consolidated, their bye week, and then Wheeling Central Catholic. Not easy games, but to have the bye week before Central Catholic, that has got to be something that has Magnolia head coach Dave Chapman chomping at the bit. And River's going to host Southern this year. They'll bring a team up from Meigs County. They'll go to Crestline and Lucas. But River with a strong chance to make the playoffs. They don't have a lot of bodies, uh, but if they can stay healthy, they got a lot returning from last year. Again, the schedule always an important topic of discussion, one that brings a lot of strong opinions. Let us know what your opinions are. Get us back on Facebook. Messages, let us know. And if we like your feedback, we'll read that on a future episode of the show. Get a hold of me. Get a hold of our page. You can message the page, and um, we'll keep you as confidential as you want to be. Next week's poll question, what's the primary responsibility of a high school football program? Is it to win at the high school level or to develop players for college? A lot of debate on this one. I'm interested to hear your takes. That question will be posted on our Facebook page later today. Also next week, we'll talk about the new coaches in our area and some coaching staff changes. I want to plug Countdown to Kickoff. It premieres Friday, August 24th on the station of Seven Rangers Radio at 6 o'clock, getting you set for the kickoff of the Game of the Week on your respective station. And our Facebook Live video series is underway. All of those videos are on Light Rock 93R's Facebook page. And then you can see them uh, if they're in the Parkersburg region. They'll be on the V96.9 page as well. If they're up the river, they'll be on uh, WXCR Facebook page as well. So, again, you find them all on Light Rock 93R's Facebook page. So don't forget to watch those preview videos. They've already started. I want to thank our fine sponsors. we got 16 sponsors on those. So a lot of uh, fine sponsors have uh, supported our high school coverage in that particular way. Download our podcast on iTunes. Rate us and review us. Let us know how we're doing. You can also listen through SoundCloud every week. And again, that poll question for next week. What's the primary responsibility of a high school? football program is it to win at the high school level or to develop players for college answer the question let me know and we'll get your name on the high school football podcast next week that'll do it for us want to thank all of our listeners want to thank all of you for taking the time to make us a part of your day my name is eric little we'll talk to you next week with a fresh episode of the eric little high school football podcast until then have a great week everybody this has been the eric little high school football podcast don't forget to like us on facebook and vote in our weekly poll come back next week for another new episode And thanks for listening. Come to Penn State!